that has, that has gone on in this, in this chapter so far. And remember, Paul is, is encouraging believers, uh, believers that are, that are suffering tribulation, going through difficult times in their life, <clears throat> and Paul has been encouraging them in the Lord about the difficult times. The fact that, yes, in, in this day and age, we are going to see difficult times, have, have difficult times on this earth, and, uh, but, there, but there's a, a greater day coming. The glory that is to come is far greater than the tribulation that we are facing now. He's also talked in this chapter <clears throat> about the Holy Spirit making intercession for us in our lives and the working of the Spirit there. And then with those things in mind, he comes down to verse 31, and that's where we want to start uh, today. And verse 31 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And so, so kind of wrapping up what he's talked about in this passage so far, he says, he says what, what else is there that I can say? He says, he said, basically, I've, I've tried to encourage you in all these things in the midst of tribulation, but now I'm going to encourage you by asking a series of questions. And Paul is going to ask basically five rhetorical questions between now and the end of the chapter. And so um, as we work on through those verses today, we're going to see these five questions that Paul asked. But the first question is this, and the question is, if God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? And, you know, that, that, that ought to encourage us uh, as Paul uh, doesn't ask who's against us. Because if Paul asked who's against us, oh my goodness, we could have a long laundry list of people that are against us, right? Or things that are against us. Or circumstances that are against us. Because all of us have things in our life that we feel like are weighing us down, are burdening us, are hard to deal with. And it could be anything from illness, to job, to children, to circumstances in life, to you name it. You know, Satan just... just tempting us. It could be any myriad of things that's against us in our life. But Paul doesn't ask who is against us um, because there could be a multiple of answers for that. He asks, if God be for us, who can be against us? Despite our sufferings, despite the things that are going on in our life, God is for us. And that ought to encourage us as we walk through this life, as we face difficult circumstances, that God is for us. Uh, Philip states it this way. He says, the strength of any possible adversary is utter weakness compared with the omnipotence of God. I thought that's a pretty good quote. The strength of any possible adversary is utter weakness compared with the omnipotence of God. And Stott says this in his commentary. He says, all the powers of hell may set themselves together against us, but they can never prevail since God is on our side. And I thought that was pretty good too. Listen, folks, in this first rhetorical question, Paul has, been, has spent this entire chapter dealing with difficult circumstances that come up in life, the things that we have to deal with day in and day out. And, and we all deal with those things, folks. We all have difficult days. We have days that are frustrating. We have days that we don't have the answers for. We have circumstances we don't know what to do. And we struggle with those things. And, and for anybody to get up and say, oh, well, you know, it shouldn't be that way, that's just false. Because we all experience those days. We all experience difficult circumstances. But what we have to remember in the difficult circumstances is God is for us. 
God is for us. He is always working behind the scenes. That's why a few verses earlier, Paul said, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, we talked about that at length, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that this week. But, but listen, folks, we understand not all circumstances are good. We face bad circumstances in our life sometimes. But all the things that come into our life, God will ultimately turn them to good. They are going to work toward our benefit even if they were difficult. Because many times in the difficult circumstances, that's when God draws us to Him. That's when we learn to rely more on Him and less on us. Because I don't have all the answers, folks, and neither do you. I wish I did. Don't you wish you had all the answers for our country today? I wish I did. But other than the country turning to the Lord, there is no other answer for our country right now. Our country needs to turn back to God. I wish I had the answers. I wish I had the answers to why uh, somebody that's a missionary on a foreign field ends up being killed on that foreign field. I wish I had the answer. You know, right now, folks, we're seeing constantly, I'm, I'm seeing stuff on Facebook about Christians and missionaries in Afghanistan and the fight to get out with their life. And, 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 and politics aside, folks, because I definitely know, you guys know where I stand on the political part of the issue, but politics aside, why do good people that are trying to do the Lord's work, why are they having to suffer right now? See, we look at those circumstances, we say those aren't good circumstances. But God can still use those circumstances for good. Many of us, many of us remember the missionary Jim Elliott and the story of Jim Elliott's life and how they reached out to that group of people. I don't remember the exact name of the group, the tribe that they reached out to, but they reached out and reached out and reached out. And when they made contact, they were murdered by the tribe that they were reaching out to. Him and all the people that were with them in that group were murdered. But, you know, I had the opportunity several years ago to sit and listen to his son speak about how that same group of people came to the Lord. The same people that took his father's life had turned their lives over to God. And so you think, boy, that's a terrible circumstance. This kid grew up without a dad because his dad was killed in service for the Lord. But see, folks, God turned that into something good. The circumstance wasn't good, but the end result, what God did with it, was good. And so the Apostle Paul can very clearly here in this passage ask this rhetorical question, if God be for us, who can be against us? And folks, we've got to think of it in terms of the reality of God. We serve a God who is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There is no force in this world that is more powerful than our God. None. Even Satan, who God tells us is powerful, he's an adversary, he is not more powerful than God. God is all-powerful. So if God is the ultimate power in this world, if he is for us, nobody can be against us. Nobody can be against us. And so that's Paul's first rhetorical question. His second question is this. Question number two. He says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So I want us to notice the next thing 
the greatest gift that God could give was what? His Son. His Son. The greatest gift. Eternal life and glorification for those of us that accept that gift of Jesus Christ. That's what God gave. And I want you to notice, going back to our discussion from the previous week, I want you to notice who that gift was for. Because it says, also freely give, I'm sorry, how shall he, excuse me, let me back up, but delivered him up for us all. Not for some of us. For us all. Going back to our discussion from verses 28, 29, and 30. Who was the gift of salvation for? Was it for a limited, select group of people? No, it was for us all that are willing to accept the free gift. God gave His Son for the whole of mankind. The word that all there represents all the parts that make up the whole of something. So when God says His Son was given as a gift for all of mankind, it's for everyone that make up the part of that whole. But we get that picture back in the book of Genesis. Slide back with me just for a moment to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, we we know the story. In Genesis 22, Abraham... And his son Isaac. And in Genesis chapter 22, and uh, starting in verse 7, we know the story. God has asked Abraham to go up into the mount and sacrifice his son, his only son. And notice we pick up in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 22. It says, And Isaac spoke, uh, spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for, the burnt, for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, uh, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac, Isaac his son, excuse me, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, "Here Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thine son, thine only son, from me. Well, the word withheld there is the same word we get in chapter 8 here, where God says that he spared, where Paul says that God spared not his son. He withheld not his son. It's the same word. Beautiful picture in the Old Testament of what God has done for us. God holds nothing back from man. He gave us everything. He gave us His Son. He held nothing back. And so that's what we have to understand as Paul asks this rhetorical question. He says, He that spared not His Son, He that didn't hold anything back, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall... He not with him also freely give us all things. In other words, God gave us everything in His Son. Certainly He can provide for the troubles that we're facing right now. That's what Paul's saying. You are going to face tribulation. You are going to face struggles. You are going to face trials. But God gave us everything. He certainly can help us through the trials and the tribulations. We just have to learn to trust in Him. Everything 
that we could ever want or need is found in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, uh, Charles Wesley, uh, in his hymn, Jesus, Lover of My Soul, he said this. He said, Thou, O Christ, art all I want, more than all in Thee I find. Thou, O Christ, art all I want, more than all in Thee I find. See, folks, the answer is Jesus Christ. And God did not spare His Son, but sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so Paul says, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Question number two. And then question number three, question number three, this and question number four, Paul takes us into the courtroom. He takes us into the courtroom with these next two questions. He says this in verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. The word charge there means to bring an accusation or calling up a debt that is owed. Paul says, listen, who is going to bring an accusation against you because it's God that justifieth? And if we are justified through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, there's no accusation that can be brought against us. But there are those who seek to bring accusation against us. Satan seeks to bring up charges against you and I as the saved. Matter of fact, his name means slanderer. That's what it means. He is a slanderer. He wants to slander us before Almighty God. Matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 12, we can turn over there just for a second, he is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. Notice what it says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. It says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. What is Satan doing, folks? He is standing before God, accusing you and accusing me of wrongdoing. But Paul says, who's going to accuse you before God? It's Christ that justifies. It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He's justified us. He's taking care of that. Nobody can stand before God and accuse you and me because we've been justified just as if we'd never sinned. Paul echoes what Isaiah wrote back in Isaiah. Isaiah in chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 8 and 9 says this. Isaiah 50, verses 8 and 9, it says, he is here that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. What a beautiful couple of verses. Isaiah says, listen, who is going to contend with me? Who is going to bring charges against me? Who is going to be able to do that? Nobody is the answer. It's a rhetorical question. Why? Because God justifieth. We see, we see this, this picture in, in, in Zechariah as well. If you want to turn over there for just a second. Uh, Zechariah chapter 3. And Zechariah chapter 3, and starting in verse 1, notice what it says. 
Zechariah 3 and verse 1 says this. It says, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan, even the Lord that had chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto, the, unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. What a beautiful picture. God standing there, Joshua and Satan, and Satan's basically saying, look at him. He's in, he's in filthy garments. His life is full of iniquity. He has sin in him. And God says, I'm changing those garments. I'm changing them to something clean, something pure. That's the picture of what we get here with Paul in this passage in chapter 8, when he says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. And then the second picture from the courtroom, question number four is this. Who is he that condemneth? Who is he that condemneth? Listen, folks, if we threw that question out there, could somebody condemn us? Typically, the answer could be, yeah. We condemn our own selves sometimes, don't we? We know who we are. We, we know the things we struggle with. We know the sins that are in our life. We, if, we are, if we're honest with ourselves, we go and we look in the mirror and we say, oh man, I'm a mess. Right? And I'm not just talking about how I look in the morning. I'm talking about my life. We look in the mirror and we realize what a mess we are. We, we realize who we are, what we've done, what we haven't done that we were supposed to do. And, and, and we, we, we condemn ourselves sometimes because we recognize just who we are. And there's others that would seek to condemn us as well because they know who we are and who we claim to be. But Paul says, who is he that condemneth? The rhetorical question. The answer again is Nobody. No one can condemn. Not our own heart. Not our critics. Not our detractors. Not our enemies. Not even Satan. Nobody can condemn us. And then Paul goes on to tell us why. Because he asks the question, who is he that condemneth? And he says, it is Christ that died. Christ is the only one that can condemn. It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. What does Paul say? So earlier in this passage, earlier, a couple weeks ago, Paul said, listen, he said, you're going to have trials, you're going to have struggles, you're going to have things in your life, but you have the Holy Spirit who's making intercession for you. Now we come a few verses later, and what does Paul say? He says, listen, the only one that can condemn you is Jesus Christ. He died. He's risen again. Oh, by the way, he's at the right hand of the God, at the right hand of God, and he's making intercession for you. So, so in one chapter of the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit doing what? Making intercession for us. Then we come a few verses later and we see Jesus Christ doing what? Maketh intercession for us. Listen, folks, I'm glad there's two parts of the Trinity making intercession for me. I'm glad they're there before the Father. And Jesus Christ is saying, it's covered in the blood. It's covered in the blood. 
Ken Big's sin is covered in the blood. He cannot be condemned because his sin is covered in the blood. That's what Jesus Christ is doing. He's making intercession for us. Isn't it beautiful and wonderful to know that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ Himself is making intercession for us today? For me. Nobody. And Jesus Christ is making intercession for me. And for each one of you that's saved here today, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is making intercession for us. And so there is nothing or nobody that can condemn me. Because the only one that can condemn is Jesus Christ, and I'm covered in His blood. And so Paul asks rhetorical question number four, who is He that condemneth? And then we get to question number five. And, and, and I love this. It's like, I almost feel like Paul has asked all these rhetorical questions, and so he's just trying to figure out, how do I sum all this up in one grand question? And so he says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Like, like he hasn't already explained this thoroughly in these other four questions, but he just lays it out there, one big question. Who's going to separate us from Christ? Who can do that? Who can separate us? Common foes we face, Paul mentions. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, we all face that. Or distress, ever been distressed folks? Sure. Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril? Or sword? Paul lists down Things that we would look at that we would say are circumstances that are hard to bear. Tribulation, distress, all the way down to the sword, being put to death. And Paul says, even that's not going to separate you. You can have distress in your life. You can have tribulation in your life. You can be persecuted in your life. You can live your life with nothing, be naked and be in famine. He said you can you not have the daily necessities that you need in life. You can have peril in your life. And you could even die by the sword. But none of that, none of that can separate you from the love of Christ. Now listen, folks. Paul experienced a lot of these things. He experienced a lot of the things he gives in that list. So he knows firsthand what he's talking about. As it is written, verse 36, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul says, listen, he says, Even if you're put to death, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Quotes here from Psalm 44. Psalm 44 and verse 22. Psalm 44 and verse 22 says this. It says, Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Even if we're killed, nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
But then I want you to notice the very next verse, Paul dares to go way beyond nothing separating us from the love of God. He, he says, listen, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. He said none of these things can separate us from the love of God. But notice where Paul dares to go next. He says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. He, he says, you're victorious. Not only are these things not going to be able to separate you from the love of God, but you are going to win the victory. What an encouragement. As we're, as we're going through life and things are beating us down on every side, isn't it a blessing to know at the end I win? That's a blessing, folks, because we don't always know that in life when we're going through things. Wouldn't it be great every time your ball team took the field and the game was rough and you were getting beaten up hard on the field and guys were, were getting injured and goals were being scored against you, but somewhere in the back of your mind you knew by the end of the game we are going to be victorious. We don't enjoy that luxury of knowing that. But wouldn't that be a great blessing if we did? And so Paul says, listen, you're going to have distress. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to be beaten down. You may even die by the sword. But you will win the victory in the end. That's what Paul says. That's the encouragement he's trying to be to believers here. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And then Paul takes the last two verses of this chapter. And he starts out, he says this. He says, for I am persuaded. What does that mean? The word persuade means to take confidence in or have faith in. Paul says, despite everything I've just listed, despite all the things that I have been through in my personal life, despite, despite everything that's happened to me, I take confidence in in the facts that I'm about to share. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I am taking confidence in these things. He is persuaded to put his confidence in the Lord. Psalm 118 and verse 8 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Listen, folks, that's an important lesson for us to learn. You want to know why? Because men fail you. Men fail you. Listen, when I was younger, there were people I looked up to. Sometimes they were men in ministry. And they failed me. They failed me. They weren't who they purported to be. They weren't the kind of people they, I thought they were. And they failed me. And I learned a lesson early on. You don't put your trust in man. Listen, folks, our trust belongs one place and one place only, and that's on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Him, we should trust. Psalm 118, verse 8, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. But then Paul says, listen, he says, I'm persuaded. I am got my confidence in the Lord. Nothing is going to dissuade me. And then he lists ten things that people might think are powerful enough to create a barrier between us and God. And Paul's just going to debunk them all. He's just going to say, listen, we are more than conquerors. 
He says, I'm persuaded. And then I want you to notice the list. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul lists this whole list of things that we might look at in our life and think that this is a powerful foe. This is, this is something that could, that could get between me and God. This is something that could separate me from God's love. And Paul says, I am confident, I am persuaded that nothing is going to be able to separate us from the love of God. As a matter of fact, he's so persuaded, he says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors, folks. You catch that? It's not just conquerors. It's not just victorious. He says we're more than conquerors. We're like victory squared or something, or cubed. I don't know what. I mean, it's like it's the ultimate. We are, we are, more, we are more than just survivors. We aren't just going to live through it because he's talking about all these terrible things, tribulation and distress and the sword. He said we're not just going to live through it. We're going to conquer it more than conquerors. How is that possible? Because twice in this passage he says it's because of Jesus Christ that we're not separated from the love of God. It's because of the love that God has for each one of us. So as we come to the end of chapter 8, we wrap up, we've been in this chapter for I think four or five weeks now, we wrap up Paul talking about difficult circumstances in life. And listen, folks, we need this encouragement. We do. Because we all suffer with difficult circumstances. And, it, and, it, and if you're not in one right now, you better just hang on, because one's probably coming. Because all of us face difficult things in life. And we've got to learn that despite the difficulties in life, even if it comes to the point of losing our life, we are more than conquerors through the love of God. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So five questions today. If God be for us, who can be against us? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is he that condemneth? And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul is trying to be a blessing in difficult circumstances. And folks, as we face those circumstances, we need to remember 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 says this, For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. 
whatever the world has to throw at us, we can overcome it. Psalm 98 and verse 1, and I'll close. It says, God's right hand and holy arm has gotten him the victory. God's right hand and holy arm has gotten him the victory. Listen, folks, we serve an omnipotent God. And despite anything we go through on this earth, we can come out more than victorious on the other side. And that's Paul's encouragement to the church. Let's have our head bowed and eyes closed as we come to the end of the message. I don't know how God has spoken to you today or what you needed from this message, but obviously we all face difficult times in our life. We all go through circumstances that are hard. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's job. Sometimes it's health. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's other people. We all go through difficult circumstances. Sometimes it's ourselves. Sometimes our, our, we battle with our own demons. And so it's our, it's our own circumstances that we've created ourselves. But we all face difficult circumstances at different times. And Paul's trying to encourage us that for those of us that have accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ, the salvation that comes from him, we can come out the other end more than victorious. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Elizabeth's just going to play this morning. Maybe the Lord spoke to you. You need to spend some time at the altar this morning. Maybe you just need to thank the Lord for what he's done in our lives. I don't know what the case is this morning. We'll wait just for a moment.